Hey listeners, Lex on the Decks here. Before you get stuck into this episode of Hot Girls, I wanted to let you know about something else you may be interested in. Though Hot Girls in its podcast format isn't releasing new episodes any longer, if you head over to my Substack, which is lexonthedecks.substack.com, you'll find more interviews and insight on gender minority artists and how to overcome any barriers to entry. You'll also get the opportunity to sign up to my weekly newsletter, Five Good Things. This is an email letter which will land in your inbox on Fridays, sharing five of my favourite cultural or creative discoveries of the week. You'll find all that on lexonthedex.substack.com. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Hot Girls. Which is brilliant, but it is kind of mad how how far away we are really from change. And I think particularly because <laughs> working in different environments and other environments I work in, it's much more balanced. But then you come and you look at the artists yeah. that are on our radios and getting shouted out. That's the center of of popular culture, and it's like yeah. men are like on this huge platform, and there'll be like two or three women that have to fit a certain mold, and then they might get a certain yeah. platform. But there's just yeah. nothing like the diversity. So I was like, this is this is weird. And why does this continue to be the case? And we need to kind of do something about it. You know, it's always really weird for me when I talk about myself because I'm so used to talking about everyone else. Yeah. And then when I have to talk about myself, I'm like, oh my God, well, I don't know about myself. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, can I bring in someone else? <laughs> Hello, everyone. This week, I am joined by Selena Hanford, the founder and CEO of Luna Legacy a creative community which also works in artist and event management, Luna Legacy was founded to support and enable the development of conscious artists across the city. Selena herself is a spoken word artist and a photographer as well. Selena, welcome to Hot Girls. Thank you for having me. Ladies, listen up. You're listening to Hot Girls. With Lex on the deck. We in the mix. It's fire. Keep it going. We on fire. From London for the world. I kind of want to jump straight into talking about Luna Legacy and then talk a little bit about you and kind of your process to founding it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting our journey because Luna Legacy really just started as an online anthology. Um, It was meant to provide a safe space for artists, whether they were rappers, singers, poets, whatever format they came from, to be able to kind of express their art in a space that was safe for them to do so. So I launched that online about two years ago. And in launching it, I suddenly was kind of barraged with loads of emerging talent that didn't really know where to go for support or to find each other. And it just started emerging into a much bigger thing than I had anticipated (laughs) it being, (laughs) which I think is often the way in the music industry and creative industries. So I found myself with DJs. If you're fortunate. That's, I mean, that's a great, yeah, maybe. better place to go that way. <laughs> <laughs> true, true story. Um, but yeah, I ended up with a lot of rappers and uh, producers and DJs and stuff coming to me and saying, I need management. Can you help me with this? And I'd got some experience of doing that, having worked with DJs previously. But mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I kept saying, okay, this is, I have skills that would be useful for this, but this isn't something that I had anticipated. Uh-huh. Um, so it kind of overtook me. And I stumbled across a couple of artists that I really wanted to work with that I was really passionate about. And that's kind of how the music management side of things 
started. But we also found that for a lot of these artists, they didn't have physical spaces where they would be welcomed. Mm -hmm. Because I think the industry is still quite tribal in London. Like, you know, people tend to book their friends. They've they've already built their communities coming up in the industry. Um, And we wanted to create a space where really it was about an open format where people could come forward, test out new material, figure out who they are as artists, get that support and that um, sense of community working with other people, but also with us to kind of refine what their brand was or what their creative direction was. So that's kind of how it all started out. And now two years later, we find ourselves as a kind of very formal structured music management company with regular events, both here and in New York, uh, a really kind of burgeoning community of artists that are really passionate about working with each other, collaborating with each other. So it goes beyond us even at this point. And then a lot of um, kind of creative content that we put together for them. So videography, photography, PR, press writing, all of that. So it's kind of began as a seed and has grown into this enormous oak tree that has so many branches (laughs) and different people involved with it. So it's been really, really exciting for us. I can imagine that's so rewarding, but I would also imagine that it can be quite challenging to prioritize or kind of balance priorities. Because obviously every artist is going to be like, me, I'm your priority. Yeah, absolutely. I think in the beginning, we were very much like anyone that we really saw the vision of that we saw the creative direction of we really wanted to work with. And I think now we're much more selective about making sure there's a really strong match there. So we now have three artists that we formally manage. Mm-hmm. Um, K. Melody, who's been with us from the beginning. Fellamy, who is a kind of Afrobeast, Afro house artist. And then Surya Sen, who's a producer. He started rapping recently. So we've kind of created a space in which the artists match really well together, that we've got really clear priorities for their strategic direction. And then we provide consultancy and support separately to that. But as you say, we have to have the priorities and know that we have the space and the time to really service those artists appropriately. Um, But it works to their advantage that we've got all these other guys that are both here and in the US that we can really plug into and support and work with as a, a broader we like to think of it as a family a broader community of artists yeah if you were to define the role of the manager because I think (laughs) particularly people who are maybe new to the industry or you know that that relationship can be very transformative to an artist like how would you define it Mm. I've had so many debates I'm part of the music managers forum and it's really interesting to see how different music managers I'm asking the right person What artists really need from that, I guess. And from my point of view, I mean, I always say I'm the plug. It's kind of a joke, but, you know, having the right contacts, being in the right places, finding the opportunities for that artist, but essentially kind of promoting the artist's career, running their business affairs, negotiating contracts and fees, having that real vision with them of what their career strategy is. Where are they trying to get to? What are the steps they need to take? Where do we need to put them to get them there and then also acting as an advisor or a confidant if they need somebody to bounce off about their creative direction or what opportunities they should be taking and then I think from my point of view it's very much about being a cheerleader like I'm I'm that manager that's at the front at the gig cheering them on rather than the more removed kind of formal role yeah Um, and I think that really depends on the relationship you have with the artist and what they need it needs to be driven by them and their requirements I think yeah it's quite a personal relationship I think let's talk a little bit about the kind of three artists that you that you manage specifically um obviously you said that K-Dot's been with you since since the very beginning 
how have they evolved and what are your focuses for for each of them at the moment? I think K.Melody um, was already quite an established emerging artist when we found each other. One of his friends, Wits, who's photographer for their music collective, Regnad, um, saw me online and kind of said to Kate, you need to go and find this woman, like she's the right match for you. And I went in there already to pitch because I was obsessed with his music. And I just sat down and he was like, right, this is what we're going to be doing for the next year. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not pitching. Okay. Um, so it's a very natural, organic relationship that emerged with him. And it's been that way all the way through. And I'm so, so blessed to have the opportunity to be involved with his career. With him, it's very much about getting him to that next level. So he's already in the last year, we've done international shows in New York where he was so well received to supporting artists like DWE at Shoreditch House and then Shocker from Marvel at Rich Mix. So he's really on that trajectory and, and it's really about just finding those opportunities to get him to the next level, yeah. but doing it in a way that's organic and authentic to his artistry because he's very much about the creative direction so we're currently heavily promoting his EP The Late Shift which is a very like neo soul it's just a beautiful project Mm -hmm. with uh, his producer Semantic One so we're really pushing that at the moment in lockdown it feels like the kind of EP that's perfect for this environment when you're at home and need those like chill vibes he's really at that stage where it's exciting to see him start to blow up and be in that space where more people hear about him but he wants to do it in a way that's authentic to his artistry yeah and we were due to go out to the states again this weekend um so it will be postponed till we can go back out again but he's got a really strong following out there in new york as well so seeing that international angle start to take root is really exciting for us as well yeah and, and also seeing his music collective take a big step forward. So they've got their own show now on Kiki, uh, Regnad Radio. So that's been really exciting to see that progression. Um, so just kind of focusing on the strategic direction and, and pushing him forward with his goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and then alongside that, I have uh, Felami, who's an Afrobeats, Afro-swing artist. Um, he's very well known as a host and a presenter. Uh, has always produced in the background, but never really stepped forward to take his place um, as a rapper and, and the, have the spotlight on him in that way. Yeah. So he's started to do that through some of the open mics, very well known on the underground scene in London. Um, and it's just been really exciting to see him kind of step forward and see himself as an artist in his own right, rather than as someone who's been an amazing supporter to the underground scene in London mm-hmm. um, so his first single is out at the moment Body on Lock and we're due to release uh, an EP later in the year so um, he's at a very different stage it's very much about kind of honing his creative goals understanding his strategy for the year ahead getting his name out there as, as a artist rather than just as a host and a presenter yeah um, so that's a totally different strategy and and ball game really to be working with but he's also co-host of my open mic night so we already have a really strong relationship there so that's it's really helped us I think yeah um and then the third artist is Surya Sen who is completely different he's a producer um primarily he kind of comes from that Chicago dance movement sound he's very much about samples 
He's just starting to put music out recently. And it's very much like a unique new sound, like house hip hop, I guess, is the best way to describe it. Um, he's doing it anonymously. So to just kind of test it, to just see what takes or... I think it's more about the fact that his sound is so unique and he's creating a new genre in a way. Like he's bringing together that kind of Chicago dance movement with like old school boom bap sounds. Mm -hmm. And he wants to keep that mystery and that enigma around what he's doing as part of that creative direction. So that's a completely different proposition. (laughs) Um, So his... Latest single, See You Later, has been doing really, really well. Um, It's been covered across a lot of the DJ publications, lots of interest from labels. So that's a very different um, space that we're moving into with that as well. So it's it's really important to be able to prioritize appropriately and have different clear strategies that are unique to each of the artists that you work with, I think. Yeah. So you've mentioned a couple of times the kind of link to the States how yes. did that how did that come about and how have you found that because again like a big challenge I think and a big question to be like do we want to just focus on local London hammer that and then go over or you know different cities obviously pick up an artist like I was looking at M- MIA recently and she really took off in the states before she took off in the UK and and that you know it can be really yeah. beneficial for an artist to grow elsewhere Absolutely. I think it was a very deliberate decision on our part with regards to K-Dot Melody because the sound that he has, which has that kind of Kendrick J. Cole feel to it, but also the kind of FKJ, Masego, that neo-soul sound. Yeah, yeah. um, There isn't that space as much in London as yet for those types of artists. So for us, it was really important that we managed to build a fan base and a brand out in New York for him. And I was blessed when I was out there. I I spent a few months out there a couple of years ago and I met some amazing guys out there who are part of a studio down in Brooklyn called Treehouse Studios and a group of rappers who go under a collective called uh, Sacred G's. And we just really connected. We had a similar vision about where we wanted to take our music, where we wanted the various groups that we were working with to move into. Um, I come, I'm a spoken word artist, so I'm really keen on music that's lyrical. I start with the lyrics first. I hear the beat afterwards, I think. Really? Um, and yeah, I'm re- I've, I've only realized that recently working with a lot of producers <laughs> is, is kind of something I've had to develop. And I think it's really important for me to be working with artists who have something to say. And so as that relationship developed, we kind of realized there was a space for them to have their sound heard over in London as much as there was space for our London artists to be heard out in the US. So last May, we put on a show at Kinfolk in Brooklyn, which is a very well-known hip-hop venue, uh, a kind of back-to-back mashup of UK and US artists working in similar genres. Basically shut the block down. It It was such a vibe. event that you do in Shoreditch normally. Tell me a bit about how how that started about and your experience and lessons really having been running it for quite a long time. Yes absolutely so we we launched it at Looking Glass Cocktail Club in Shoreditch it's called Say No More 
Um, the premise of it was to have, and it kind of, I'm a lot older than all of you kids in the industry. So <laughs> I remembered when doctor's orders first launched in like 2005. And it was such an exciting time because they would bring through. Didn't know it had been around kind of for that two, long. Yes. They, yeah. I was there at the beginning. It made me feel very old recently when I found out how long they'd been. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but um they they had this kind of format of having artists come through, MCs come through, and then emerging DJs. And then I was sick because there was always you discover new talent, but you'd also basically have a rave up. And there were I felt like there weren't that many places doing that anymore. So we wanted to start something that was both a showcase, so that talent that was already kind of coming through the door could come through and be featured showcased and that we could also have an open mic for emerging talent to test things out, develop that community, be supported, and then have a little get down at the end. So everyone still gets their Thursday night mashup. And we wanted it to not be as tribal as some of the events that we were used to. Yes, uh, We wanted it to be a really kind of warm, loving, supportive space for everyone that came through. Somewhere that you genuinely uh, can go up and speak to someone and get to know them and swap contact. Yeah, somewhere you actually want to be. <laughs> you know that yeah. warmth with it um, and I think when Fella and I launched it it was very much about creating that family space um, making it a community making people feel welcome when they came through the door being very real about who we are as people and our idiosyncrasies but also bringing together both rap and R&B but also with spoken word and poetry which is the world I come from yeah and making it something that people can learn from one another and, and develop new sounds and new partnerships. Um, so that's kind of how it started out. And then we just were so blessed with the response to it and the types of artists that came through as features. So we've had people like Shocker and Double S from Marvel. Um, we've had people like Sub10, who's obviously recently been named by Dizzy Rascal as like the next grime artist that's up and coming. We were so blessed last year to have Elliot York, commonly known as Ebo from Foreign Beggars, who recently passed away, who came through to do his first solo material. So by having that, we had a space where artists that, the emerging artists that are coming to jump on the open mic are excited because they're in a space where they're seeing artists they look up to and respect yeah. in the same room as them. And, and I think- And then they can like really rave with them afterwards. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and, and they've always been really open and welcoming and people would have conversations about how their career had worked. And so it created that kind of networking element of it as well about lesson yeah. learning, about the industry. And so we were just really lucky with that. We were lucky with how supported we felt. We've, we, had, we have so many regulars that kind of are now jumping on the virtual open mic at the moment because they don't want to miss out on speaking to their friends. We've had people make EPs as a result of coming through. So that's, it's been a really, really exciting organic space to be in yeah. and for us as much as for the artists. How did you find the venue in the first place? Because I imagine that's one of the hardest things to get right. I, I, will, I will say this. I think, you know, we've done club nights, we've done gigs, we've done showcases, open mics. I think the London scene is very challenging. If the minute the word hip hop or grime gets mentioned, the shutters go down. There's a real stereotype about what that means in terms of the event, what that means in terms of the risks for the venue. And we were so lucky with Looking Glass because they have been 
unbelievably supportive, open, let us do whatever we want to do at the venue. But they also seem to genuinely care about what we're trying to achieve. Mm. And so even in this lockdown period, you know, we've all stayed in touch with each other. We're talking about how things will work on the other side. They've promoted what we're doing online. We're promoting how they're kind of surviving during the lockdown with their changed business model. So I think, you know, finding places like that, that really care about emerging talent, the music industry, that's a really special moment. Um, And I think those are few and far between now. and, and, And I think that's going to be a real challenge as we see what the world looks like moving forward, how much of things have to be virtual versus what kinds of spaces will remain and flourish in whatever world exists after that. Yeah, because it's quite scary because I think... um... I agree. Like I know I live in Dalston and people I've spoken to who I've said, or where I live, when they say like what it was like five years ago, like there were so many venues and so many things going on. And now it was like a handful. Mm. There's nothing like the kind of the number of different creative spaces. And I think there was a big kind of kickoff about it. It was, must've been about five years ago. Like when I remember when, um, when fabric closed and loads of the, loads of the big kind of nightclubs closed and there was like this panic and I think we're now going yeah. to be coming. It was almost like it was a moment and then the noise around it simmered down, but the venues like that didn't really change. And then now coming out of lockdown, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. I think it's interesting for me because being, I'm, I just turned 38. So I grew up in a very different um, <laughs> musical environment. And yeah. <laughs> and when we were kind of sort of raving at like 18 to 21 there was a real distinction of venues there was like the kind of bougie soho scene and then like absolute hole in the wall venues there wasn't really that like space that grew that then kind of came under threat with the recession and with the the tightening legislation around Mm -hmm. um, nightlife I think it would be really interesting to see what happens with any recession that emerges out of this and what happens to venues and what kinds of spaces will be left and what their level of risk that they'll be prepared to take on coming out the other side. Because I've always said, I think New York is much more easygoing about the kinds of ventures that they're prepared to take on versus here where it's a very risky business to let a promoter come in that you don't know. So there's challenges developing that trust and, and developing good relationships with venue holders. And we've just been so lucky with the level of support that we found. Yeah. Before founding Luna, you, as you say, a spoken word artist and still are. I would yes. love to hear about your your journey to that, whether you were writing poetry since the age of dot or whether it was something that you've kind of found your voice later in life. So I always wrote, but I wrote very much for myself in a kind of therapeutic way. Mm-hmm. And I came into more public writing through a really odd journey. So I was married. I went through IVF and I found that there was no space to talk about infertility publicly. So I started a website called My F Word, which was intended to be a space for people to be able to publish anything they wanted to about their feelings about their fertility or infertility journeys. So totally separate to music or any of my kind of spoken word writing now. Um, But it inspired me being in that space and seeing the value that it had for people to start writing more publicly about my own journey um, and about my unconventional (laughs) personal pathway that I've taken in life. And through that, it kind of gave me the confidence to start writing more broadly. Mm. And about 18 months ago, I randomly met 
uh, an artist called Tommy Evans, who was an absolute inspiration to me when I was growing up. Seminal hip hop artist, worked very closely with Jess, has credits on Jay Diller. He's amazing. And he'd gone into spoken word and poetry. And I met him at a gig at Scala by chance. And he invited me to an event called Mind Over Matter Mm -hmm. just to come through and see him perform. Mind Over Matter is an amazing open mic event, uh, very much focused on mental health as therapy through writing, um, run by a good friend of mine called Fisky. So I went down to this thing thinking, this is going to be horrendous. I don't know what all of this spoken word malarkey is about, but it's probably (laughs) not for me. And just absolutely fell in love with it. There were amazing artists there that night, like Broken Pen, Solomon the Wizard, MEP. um, And it was just a very inspirational space to understand how people were using art to express themselves, but also how the lyricism that I loved so much in hip hop existed in other formats and worlds. So I committed myself to, and and the really interesting thing about that night is that like it's still got very much of a hip hop vibe to it. So they have a DJ there, not EP, who plays like all that old school boom bap, so that's, I got very excited about the whole thing. I was like, this is my tribe. This, this is, is my space. Yeah. <laughs> Such a good feeling. This is where I've been listening. And I also, the same night at this gig, met Shocker from Marvel, who's now one of my best friends. And he really, really pushed me. He's a rapper. He's a poet. And he was like, you, you're a dope writer. You need to find your voice. So I was kind of forced into it a little bit. I, I was like, I'm not an actress. I don't want to do this. Um, but it's been, a, it's been a really amazing journey for me because I was always so scared to kind of get up on stage. And I now obviously host my own events. Um, I've got quite a big kind of brand around myself online. Yeah. I do a lot of videos. Uh, and that was all something I wouldn't have been able to do two years ago. But when you have people around you that are supportive and they see what you're trying to achieve and they value your art, that's when you really come alive and you have the faith and confidence in yourself. And I think that's a lot of what's influenced me in my music management style as well as having that kind of support network around me yeah, um, to really push me to do things that I'm scared of and challenge myself. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how it started. Luna, where did that name Mm. come from? So Selena, my government name, it means goddess of the moon. So I always had a very strong association with the moon and with like lunar cycles and stuff like that. So that's where Luna came from. Uh And then legacy was very much about kind of, obviously legacy in the hip hop world has a very strong meaning. But also for me, it was about my father having passed away and, and me finding out I couldn't have kids, it was about leaving a different kind of legacy through the creative works that I make, but also through supporting other people in their organic creative journeys. So yeah. uh, that's, that's where that came from. That's where I came from. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of your early inspiration did come from early hip hop and that was a big focus for you musically. Yeah. Talk me through some of your, your favourite artists, whether there are people that you've always looked up to or whether it's a really big range of people. I've got quite an eclectic taste I think like my original, where I started from was like old school hip hop. So like Nas, Biggie, Busta Rhymes, Mad Villain, MF Doom, people like that. Yeah. Um, but also like Common, 
Talakwali. Uh-huh. It was very lyrically focused, those yeah. types of sounds. Yeah. Um, that was the stuff I listened to at home. And then growing up in the clubs, it was like garage, like <laughs> Pharrell, Snoop Dogg, Ja Rule. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so all of that, but I also love like nineties R and B. So I have a t-shirt that says, if the love doesn't feel like nineties R and B, I don't want it. Um, <laughs> True. <laughs> that, that romantic, jagged edge, black street, genuine, that kind of sound. <laughs> yeah. Um, this dates me horribly, doesn't it? Slow grind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But also like watching that movement from like, garage through to like grime and the kind of British sound that we have now, which I think is a lot more kind of crossover from spoken word and grime brought together. So the stuff I listen to now, I find I listen to a lot more British artists. Like my favorite artist of all time is Koji Radical. I just absolutely adore him. I just went to New York in February purely to go to his gig in New York. (laughs) (laughs) I'm truly committed to the Koji (laughs) mission. I'm crazy. Um, but people like Cass is Dead, Young Fathers, um, Dave. I love George the Poet, like his old school stuff. So it's a bit all over the shop. And then American artists like J. Cole and Kendrick and Saba and Asaya Rashad and stuff like that. So yeah. it's very lyrically focused. Yeah. I like those kind of smoother beats and, and sounds that really draw you in. I think... Anyone my age group really grew up with that solid, like East Coast, West Coast divide, hip hop sound. But all of those kind of founding fathers that really started to break through, they were writing lyrics that were so hard and that you couldn't avoid. And I think that's reflected both in the artists that I love now, but also in the poetry that I love and the spoken word artists that I really appreciate. So I think that tradition has remained throughout a lot of genres that you don't necessarily appreciate. I think one of the great things about a lot of the grime artists that are around at the moment, you know, if you think about um, Dave or Giggs or Getz, like they have such strong lyrics, like really hard hitting that drag you in. And that's something that I think sometimes gets unsaid because it's a sound, Mm. but it's also about the experience of London. It's about um, how we are different from the influences. I, I always yeah. find it astonishing that kids now growing up can be listening purely to British music. And I think that on one hand, that's utterly beautiful because it would have been impossible before. But it's also fascinating in the sense that they don't know the tradition of where some of that came from. Yeah. I was thinking about Dave, actually, when you mentioned artists who also touch the boundaries of spoken word, because I think he does that a little bit, mm. even though he wouldn't absolutely probably class himself as that. That is like his, yeah. some of his sound kind of when it's that. I noticed on your the Dots profile that you also worked at Point Blank. So I was wondering, because that's more electronic focused really, isn't it? I was wondering whether that was part of your influence or just a kind of random part of your career journey or, or where that fitted in. I think Point Blank has a reputation for having been electronic focused because it does come from that kind of Ibiza dance sound. Yeah. But they're very much uh, moving forward, emerging as um, they want to be at the forefront of electronic in the broadest sense. So mm-hmm. essentially production sounding music so they work with a lot of artists that are not just in that house minimal techno space I mean they're they're very much working with grime artists lots of their students are very much involved in kind of grime hip-hop so I think it's a much much more multi-genre institution than people perhaps understand that it's it was a really exciting place to work um kind of seeing 
my corporate career was very much in education. So it was really interesting to see how those two worlds yeah. collide and come together. And such um, a creative space, like seeing, to have lots of people coming through who just want to make stuff. Absolutely. And, and the lecturers that work there are all heavily involved in the industry. The people that you work with are all producers, musicians, even on the kind of professional services side. So, it, yeah, it's a really inspiring space to be in. And I think it, it really helped me figure out where I wanted to go next in my career and kind of take the step to set up Legacy as my full time baby, as it were. Yeah, yeah. That Was that scary when you went full in? Because I find um, the emotions when it's something that you founded or you've created are much more intense than if it's something that, you know, you're just a part of. Yeah, definitely daunting. I think I wouldn't have done it when I was younger, but I felt like I've now got the professional development. I mean, I'm a qualified chartered secretary, so I know about kind of company law and governance and all that boring yeah. stuff. Um, I've had the experience of doing a lot of business operations for other people. I'm a qualified coach. So I've done all of that type of stuff that's put me in a position where you have the confidence to step forward and do something for yourself. And I think I've reached a point where I wanted to do something that I was truly passionate about. And yes, it is terrifying because I (laughs) don't come from that kind of entrepreneurial background. (laughs) I mean, my parents were very much like, go and get a corporate job and do something sensible. Yeah. I know my, my, my mom is still saying that I'm on a gap year to anyone that asks her <laughs> what I'm doing because she just doesn't understand it. She wants me to still be chief of staff at the London School of Economics. Um, <laughs> but I think it, it, you have to, at some point, decide what your values are, what's important to you. Mm. And I was, in particular, at that time, working with K.Melody, Melody feeling that I really needed to put everything I had into it for his career, but also for my own career, and simultaneously seeing all these amazing artists that we were working with. I mean, there's people like um, Vacation or Boy Nash or Manife that were coming to our open mic nights and just really wanting to think of opportunities to push them forward. And I think that's where the difference between when I was doing this on the side as a side hustle versus now is that We've got the monthly events, well, now they're weekly because online, but also, you know, we have our fortnightly playlist drop on Spotify. We have our online anthology that we're updating. We're working on relaunching the website with a full blog. I've started doing videography and photography. So we do Friday freestyles. We do freestyle videos for some artists. We're starting to do music videos. It's just expanded our capacity to provide a full service to artists that we both manage but also that we just really rate and want to be part of their journey so it's scary especially scary right now with lockdown (laughs) but I think you have to you have to believe in your own source like you have to take that step and and do the thing that you're passionate about yeah and that's what that's what we're working on yeah so I have two final questions for you one kind of leads on from that and it is are you a goal setter or do you have any like particular kind of goals or affirmations that you repeat to yourself? I mean, I don't know about affirmations. What I do have, which uh, I keep in my office, is my whiteboard, which is a kind of vision board, Lunar Legacy vision. And on there, I have the, the clear strategy of what are the main priorities that we have for the next week, month, and six months. Uh-huh. Um, and that focus is, is broken down by artists, and then it's also the company itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might be 
for example, we were due to do our festival in June that was going to be at Colors Hoxton. So I still keep that on the vision board as when this is all over, we figure out how that works in a different environment versus whether it becomes something we do virtually. But then having that as a clear priority and then breaking down the objectives that sit underneath that. Um, I'm very much about to-do lists. I think you have to know what your overall vision is. Yeah. If you don't know, nobody else is going to know and nobody else can support you with it. Yeah. Um, I think alongside that, I've made sure that we have people on the team who are passionate about what we're trying to achieve. Um, And really reaching out and making sure that we have talent from people that are, you know, 16, 17, just coming up who are the real ones that are plugged in and know what's going on through to people that are in a much more operational directional role that can support with pushing things forward. And I think that that's what you need. You need to have a team that's, that knows the direction you're all moving in totally. without those kind of goals. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. And also that, I guess it is the, the best way to set the structure and then give people the freedom within that because you've kind of said like, as long as it's going towards this direction, then I trust in you to take it further. Absolutely. And I think for me, my kind of corporate career really gave me that style of management that is very much about like, let's figure out what the overall vision is, but then you take that and run with it in your particular section and come to me if you need advice or you need guidance, but I don't want to be there like some hover parent. Yeah. Like what have you done today? (laughs) I don't I think it's more important to be like, how like, has this got done? Is it a success versus how did you do each step, stage of that? I just want yes. to see us flourish and be successful and also love what we're doing. Because if we don't all love it, then I feel like I've failed in my overall mission of why we started the company in the first place. Yeah. And then final question, when lockdown ends, what are you, <laughs> I like the word. <laughs> what are you most looking forward to doing? Aside from everything. Uh, I just want to have a massive rave. I just want to throw a massive party, probably at Looking Glass Cocktail Club. I want to drink coffee Patron till I can't see with my friends. Dance our faces off. I can see in the recreate. background in your flat as well. I was like, you've got the Patron. <laughs> Got the Patron ready, Bob. Birthday shot. We, we, I don't know if you've seen on our YouTube channel, but we have we have all the videos of previous performers and all the rest of it. But whilst we've been in lockdown, I put together a video of like the best dance moves from Luna Legacy events, and I keep watching it with like Aww. idealism in my heart. <laughs> just want to get back to the rave. I just want us all it's to like be together again, isn't it? I know it is a little bit, but no, it's, it's reassuring. It reminds you that there is a world that's going to exist after this. And I think that world's going to be even more creative, exciting, because people are going to really appreciate what we have when we get back to that space. Totally, totally. I definitely did not appreciate being able to go out and dance and like the freedom of that in the way that I will be appreciating when we go back. <laughs> I, I think we're all very convinced that we probably did get coronavirus at the last Ever Say No More because we all went out afterwards and drank cocktails from fish bowls and shared straws. So I don't know if we quite go back to that lifestyle. <laughs> when you were like, we felt terrible one. for at least a week after. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, just the sense of community and being around each other, I think will be an yeah. amazing thing. Where can people find you if people are listening and they want to look you up? Where, where are you on the internet? Of course. So we have our main website, which is www.lunalegacy.com. You can also find us 
on Instagram and all other social media as We Are Luna Legacy. And we are on YouTube also, Luna Legacy. Um, and you can also find me individually because I am my own individual <laughs> person beyond <laughs> the Luna Legacy world um, at Luna Elizabeth, L U N A L I S A B E T. Perfect. And, you can and we find will. My we will link to link to those as well in the notes in the description. And um, thank you very much for joining yeah, us. It's been a lovely conversation. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> from lockdown. And thanks very much for listening, everyone. Bye. What up, Lex? Eyes on the prize, if no surprise, good women were destined to rise. Inspiring, celebrating, uplifting the new generation. Some hot girls, you know the vibe. All the hot girls come alive. All the hot girls.